Last winter, I traveled to Mexico for a wedding, my brother's wedding. This is a record of that journey. It is a story with stray connections of memories, exile, and dreams. Mexico is a big country, the eighth largest in the world, about a quarter the size of the United States, with which it shares a frontier of 2,000 miles. In its geography, the country is roughly speaking a plateau, flanked by ranges of mountains paralleling the coast. The population of 90 million lives mostly in the cities. Of that 90 million, there are an estimated 24 million Indians and 54 different kinds of them, and each group has its own language. 9% of the population is white, and the rest, 60%, is mestizo, a mixture of Spanish and Indian. It makes for a complicated history, to say the least, from the great civilizations of the Maya and the Aztecs to the 300 years of Spanish rule, from the fierce blood sacrifice of pre-Columbian times to the devout Catholicism of the present, from the revolution of the early years of this century to the upheavals, financial and political, taking place at the moment. The poet Octavio Paz, the Nobel laureate, said, There is a Mexico which is buried but alive. Or, more accurately, there is in Mexican men and women a universe of buried images, desires and impulses. Porfirio Diaz, the great dictator who ruled the country for 30 years, saw it another way. Poor Mexico, he said, so far from God and so close to the United States. We are flying over the state of Puebla, flying direct to the uh, main city. Over there, um, six more minutes, uh, five more minutes. From there, we will fly direct to Mexico City. Uh, you will be able to see on our descent to Mexico City, uh, left hand side of the aircraft, the volcano, Popocatépetl, Your attention, please. We will soon be landing. Kindly straighten your seat backs. Fasten your seat belts. 
Lock your service tables and do not smoke. Thank you. The capital, Mexico City, is vast and seems to go on forever. A quarter of the entire population lives here. That's 24 million or so, and every one of them seems to drive a car. And because insurance is not mandatory, a lot of the cars are bangers. The city is built in a saucer, an old lake bed surrounded by mountains, and the smog just sits over it. You can see it from the plain from a long way off. Suplicamos a ustedes que para su propia seguridad permanezcan sentados hasta que el avión se detenga totalmente y quede apagado el aviso de The air is thin in the city because of the altitude. As people remember from the 1968 Olympics, it's over 2,000 metres, twice as high as the highest point in Ireland. You find it hard to breathe, and what you do breathe is heavy with carbon monoxide. But it's still a very green city. In one of the leafier parts, I met a man called Daniel Martinez and two other actors who were putting on a production of a Frank McGuinness play, Someone Who'll Watch Over Me, in English. They don't know what the Dublin accent sounds like, and they asked me to read the lines of Edward Sheridan, a character with a strong resemblance to Brian Keenan in the play, which is about English-speaking hostages in Beirut. The three actors are of very different backgrounds, but each regards himself as 100% Mexican. Like the US, this country has a melting pot of its own, and indeed it has an immigrant problem of its own from the south. stone-floored apartment of his parents, looking out on a garden with an impossibly green lawn, Daniel tells me how he came to be producing the play. We bought the rights about a year ago, and at first we tried to do it in Spanish, and um, we tried several translations and, trying, and tried several adaptations to it, but it didn't work. A lot of the, um, the fun of it, the the themes, yeah, yeah. Uh, a big part of it was lost in translation, the adaptation. So when, so then I got the idea of putting it in English with um, English-speaking actors. We thought we could do it for um, an English-speaking crowd, which there's a lot of. There must be a large English crowd if there's two English newspapers in the city. Yeah, about two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand English speakers who are not Mexican. Mm. But um, I saw a lot of potential in the play. Oh. I don't know. I guess it's a growing love affair with the play. You know, there's always something new in it for me. At first, I was very interested in the relationship of the three men in, in captivity. And then it was also the, the national themes, you know, the Irishman, the Englishman, the American, and the way their relationship grows. 
and then it's also the humor of it then it's also the possibilities as an actor or director in my case of how to approach it how to explore it you know the journey my mother is is english from uh, jewish origins in in england so her family though it's um her parents were born in England and her grandparents were born in England. Her great-great-grandparents probably immigrated from Russia and from Spain. So it's, it's an interesting mixture. How did she come to Mexico? She came here because she met my father in England. My father is Mexican. So they came here in the 60s and they had me. Yeah, so it's basically my origin. Well, I've lived in England um, uh, and trained in England. I it's very funny. I I feel more Mexican. You know. Alberto Laumnitz plays the part of the Irish character Sheridan. I think there are two sort of interesting aspects on the first part. The one part is sort of, it's like a joke. There's an, Ameri an American, an Englishman, and an Irishman in a cell. And uh, sort of, and, um, and so it plays a lot on, on the cultural stereotypes, which are there for a reason. And I think they really, the, Eng the Englishman really is very English in the play. And the American is, is you know, you can really see him as, Typical American, and, and the Irishman, you know, seems very Irish from what the little I know of Irish culture. Um, and so I think that's fascinating the cultural differences. And what's most important in the play is that those cultural differences, at the end, of course, in this extreme situation, come down to nothing. And there's something much deeper than the cultural differences. So it's a really, it's I think it's a beautiful. Uh, piece in that sense because it's on the one hand it shows the cultural differences very strongly and um and they are there and they're and they're enormous uh obstacles for uh for communication between the characters but they are broken down because they're in a situation in which much more important than any of that is the fact that they're all together in the same boat mm. held hostages i see that very much in the in the irish character yeah in the in the songs he sings in the and also he's a there's a personal aspect to that as well mm -hmm. which is that uh, the character is a is a journalist and as such is always trying he's always getting commissions away from home and so there's also a very strong personal aspect to that that he's always sort of lived abroad himself mm -hmm. also personally um, yeah i think uh, the englishman the, is slightly different because he's the kind the poetry he brings in and the stories yeah. he brings in tend to be more about uh, death, for example, uh -huh. coming back to life. Uh, I think each character tends to, to view it a little bit different, but the Irishman definitely talks a lot yeah. about but I, exile. I think, I think this theme of exile or living abroad is very much present, you know, mm -hmm. with all of them. And, uh, of course, it's, it's only accentuated by the fact that they are in a cell in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore you get the question of, why did I come here? Yes, I uh, I actually arrived in Mexico when I was about seven or eight years old, mm. and my parents have been pretty much, you know, 
changing countries since the Second World War. Mm. So I have family all over the world, yeah. so I know a lot about exile. <laughs> Luis Artagnan, who plays the American, comes from a French family, but was born in Mexico City. I learned um, to speak English here in Mexico first in in American school. And they taught uh, English with the American accent. So, well, that's the accent I got from my teachers. And then, well, I traveled to several countries and I've used English to communicate. And, and then I came back and started to teach English. And that way I kept my my English. It's a beautiful play because uh, it uh, many aspects about the human being converge here, but which is more 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 attractive to me is the the, um, the fact that we have here uh, three human beings that belong to the race that rules the world nowadays. Right? Somehow, Englishmen had the period of ruling the world. And uh, Americans rule the world now. And and the Irish will. And the Irish will. <laughs> that's what. I'll, that, that's what. <laughs> Edward says that. <laughs> as soon as he gets out of the cell, <laughs> and and they they find themselves in a in a situation they didn't ever uh, they couldn't ever imagine. They are nothing. They are insects. So this make them, uh, f I think, this make them f uh, feel human beings, and, and they make this make them uh, bring out things uh, they wouldn't ever have uh, brought out if they hadn't been in, in that situation. Uh, I think we can learn a lot when we see a, a champion uh, defeated. Not far away from Daniel's house in the National Anthropological Museum, out in the heat, the Indian drummers are at work. Chiapas, in the extreme south of the country on the border with Guatemala, is where the Zapatista revolutionary movement began and it is the second poorest of the 29 states of Mexico. Its population is largely indigenous Maya Indians. In the neighboring state of Oaxaca, you can see where the Indian culture meets the Spanish. Out in the countryside around the state capital, also called Oaxaca, are the remains of four great palaces at Mitla, literally the place of the dead. Nearer the city is the extraordinary Monte Alban, the ancient capital of the Zapotec culture, which flourished in the first millennium BC. Monte Alban is a great plateau cut out of a high mountain with stepped pyramids around a 300-metre rectangular plaza. There's a still palpable aura of human sacrifice about the place.
Oaxaca is a small town, still very Indian, though it was built entirely by the Spanish. It's a meeting point of all the tribes that live around the area who come down to trade there. It has the most remarkable market for local crafts, carpets, pottery, wood carvings, silver, tin. And there's a big trade in chocolate. In appearance, the town is Spanish colonial. There are many exquisite Baroque churches from the 17th century and the central square, the Zocalo, is surrounded by arcades. It is here in the Zocalo, underneath the high evergreen oaks, the people gather in the evenings to eat, to talk, to stroll about looking at everybody else and to listen to the music. In a small cafe on one of the side streets, I fell into conversation with the owner, who turned out to be Greek. His name is Alex. We sell lots of things here. We have, we have four stores. In one store we sell electronic, uh, TVs, videos, uh, refrigerators, uh, washing machines. In the, about, about, the, about the house. In the other store we sell only watches. It's a small store. The, in another store, we sell CDs, compact discs, cassettes, and uh, gifts, cigars, or uh, for, for presents. And the main store is in this corner, and uh, here we sell almost everything. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I born in Greece, in, in a small village in north of Greece, from Macedonia close to Thessaloniki, 100 kilometers west of Thessaloniki. My village is Eratira, and the country is Kozani, the, the place. Eratira, Kozani. And my parents are agriculture. I have a brother, he's a teacher. After I finished high school, I went to Romania. I studied drilling engineering, oil engineering. I study one year in Bucharest and five years in Ploest. It's a, it's a city 60 kilometers north of Bucharest. It's in central Romania. After this, I went to, to Chicago, to University of Illinois, to study my master's degree. In the first month, I met my wife. I get married. I quit studying and they came to Mexico. <laughs> she is Mexican? Yeah, she is Mexican from Oaxaca. I, I went back to the States. I stayed for two years. I opened a restaurant with my cousin in Indianapolis. But my wife got pregnant. See? She wanted to come back. I like better Mexico than the States. And I'm here now. I have six years in 
since September 89, two days before my daughter was born. So as, lo- as old as my daughter, as, as long as I'm here in Mexico. Mexico is a nice country. The people are very friendly. But one thirty, forty percent of the population, they don't have the enough resources to to have a better opportunities for a better job and the most important, better education. Mm. Those people, they, they need more help from the government to have more education. That's the most important thing, education. Very, if you teach them, they learn very fast. But uh, we have, still, I, you, you have a big crisis now because of the dollar. One year ago, the dollar was 3.30 pesos, and now it's 7.50. The interest of the bank was 15%. Now it's about 40 or 45. We had a very difficult year in 95. But now the economy started picking up again, little by little. And I hope this is going to be the last crisis of Mexico. So, and this president, I think he, he took a good measure to say all of the parties, the Communist Party, the, 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 the three or the four most important parties, poli- political parties of Mexico, to make a, how do you say, a commission and the whole parties to talk with those people from Chapas. There are two or three thousand people, or I don't know how much more, probably twenty hundred, but you cannot... Uh, criticize the whole Mexico for uh, one state or even for 20 or 30 or 50,000 people when the whole Mexico is about 80 or 90 millions. In this place and in, in other places of south of Mexico, the people with the help of the, of the government, of the uh, Secretary of Tourism, they, they build houses, handmade houses, and they rent them. And you can go to rent them for one or two or three or four days. You are in in the middle of the, of the forest, in the middle of the trees, and uh, you, you eat the native food, you relax. Uh, if you're close to the coast, okay, especially in this place, in uh, close to Puerto Escondido, you can go with the fishermen, with the fishers, the fishermen, to, to have a, a walk, no walk, with a boat. I don't know how you say it. Walk with a boat or... Yeah. A <laughs> see, with a small boat yeah. to see the tortoise or to, to go fishing mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, probably other day you go with a guide to see the coffee plantations, the coffee trees, mm-hmm. the, the forest. Because we have tropical forest, especially here in Oaxaca, Chiapas, the south of Mexico. Oaxaca is in the middle of the Sierra Madre Oriental and Sierra Madre Occidental. So from the both sides, from one side you have the Pacific, from there you say the Atlantic Ocean. So from the both sides, the, the forests are amazing.
the latest attraction of Alex's small corner shop is the internet. He only heard about it six weeks ago, and now he provides internet access for anyone who walks in off the street. My Greek colleague in, in Detroit will, will, will want to know what kind of a deal you gave me. <laughs> Petros <laughs> Yanatos, all right? The cheapest. The, yeah, the yeah, cheapest right, in the world. The cheapest in the world. One of his first customers is a professor from Flint, Michigan, Hugh Stilly. One peso per minute. That's a lot of pesos. <laughs> in New York, they charge $10 for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a poor school teacher. Oh, we charge academic price. A better price, see. Academic price. Yeah, oh, 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 that sounds bad. <laughs> I don't like to hear that. I knew it was available in uh, Mexico. I just didn't know how I was going to get access. That's all. And we, we just... Uh, essential business you were doing? Or was it, just... it was um, both personal and uh, professional. Uh, I wrote a letter of recommendation for a fellow trying to get... Uh, promotion and tenure at, our, at, at my college in the United States. Um, I, I wrote a letter to um, a fellow that I am co-writing uh, an article with, um, and he had accepted the stuff that I edited before Christmas, and, and that was nice. And I wrote my wife, and I wrote uh, a couple of colleagues, and checked the, checked the mail. Um, that's you it. checked your own, your own email at home? My own email at home, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I did a couple other professional things. I, I guided a student on his thesis, and uh, a student on an inter, uh, on a uh, um, singular project. You know. So I got a lot of work done. My friend Mark, Mark, I don't know Alex, Alex uh, told me uh, that it had just arrived in Oaxaca essentially five months ago or something. I've only arrived here, I think, five days ago. Well, no, in, in this shop. Well, is that true? I thought you had. I thought you were hooked up before then. No. no. Oh, I get a really good discount because I'm one of your first month's customers. That's worth about thirty-five percent. The president with the discount included. Yeah, right. <laughs> Hugh's love of Mexico goes back a long way. When he was living in El Paso, he moved south of the border so that his daughter could be born there. He's hoping to retire to Mexico, but he's going to have to convince his wife. Another man in the cafe, Nico, is going to retire to Mexico. Like Alex, the owner, he's also Greek in origin, but is smaller and older, maybe late 40s, and has spent most of his working life in New Jersey. He's on his way to the tropical southwest coast to negotiate a plot of land for his dream home. I find a very nice property right on the top of a hill, and I have a great view. On my left, I have Zicatella. It's a small playa with the rocks. On my left, I have a Puerto Escondido with the faro and the light, and it's very graphic, especially at night. Now, if you turn 180 degrees, you have the mountains, the campus, and far away you have a river, they call it Lavara. 
I also, by walking around and searching for a lot, I found a very beautiful design for a house. It's very, very cheap, $5,000. Now, I can build the house with another, another $15,000 almost complete because the material here is very cheap, very cheap. Also, the labor. You can have a worker for 40, 40 pesos a day. You can hire uh, uh, youngsters for 25. And some of them, they're also the same productive as the adults. You know what I mean? But uh, I have very big experience whatever concerns instructions of a house from the base all the way up you see because I come from Greece and we use the same method and uh, I have uh, many experiences see because from the crisis that we have in 1974 as you remember the oil crisis that we have everything is changed in the United States unions there was uh, harder to get into it and a lot of things uh, a lot of incentives that, that, that we have, we lost them. So in order to keep yourself busy, you have to learn to do other things. So today, I'm a plumber, I'm an electrician, I'm a carpenter. I put tiles on the floor, marble, <coughs> granite, whatever you call it. And uh, I also specialize in, in uh, decoration. I have a little bit Italian within me. You know what I mean? My mother was Italian, my father was a Greek. So I like beautiful things, nice things. Not expensive, not uh, chandeliers and crystals and stuff like that. I like simplicity and practicality. So I think I can make my dream house here in Mexico. Not only that, a lot of people, they ask me, well, you're a Greek. How come you don't go back to Greece? Because every immigrant's idea is to go wherever he goes and get whatever money he can get and go back to his own country, to go back. It's not working this way because I've been for 26 years in the United States. Now, if I go back to Greece, I would be like a stranger in my own country. And it feels, I feel sorry. I returned to Mexico City for what was, after all, the purpose of this trip, the wedding of my brother Tom. His wife-to-be, Lupita, comes from the city, but they met on a beach in the south, down near Guatemala. He has lived here for a year now and shows no desire to return home. Lupita y el señor contrayente adquieren la proeza de ser en esta noche los príncipes del amor. Que sean muy dichosos, que Dios los bendiga. Un aplauso para ellos.
The wedding reception at the Hacienda de los Morales is an extraordinarily lavish affair for about 400 guests. There's dancing and feasting and vintage tequila, and it is five in the morning before the band stops playing. In Ireland, at around the time of Tom's wedding, there was a migration in the opposite direction. A Mexican man was moving to live in Dublin. His name was Salinas, and he was thought to be a banana importer. He was very interested in Irish history and literature, and one day he paid a visit to University College Dublin to see Declan Kybird of the English department. He, he came at a time when there were a lot of students just about coming on logistical problems to do with tutorials and so on. And he was very keen to get stuck into this topic immediately and uh, did so and talked with great authority and warmth indeed about the topics uh, while explaining, taking great care to explain that his own background wasn't in literature but was actually in politics and economics. Looking back now, perhaps if I had been a more alert person or less distracted by the size of the queue still outside the door, I might have realised the significance, but I didn't. I, I thought that he was probably some kind of journalist or academic in exile. He seemed to have an open-ended time frame here in Ireland and to want to know and to learn more about the culture. His visitor was not a banana importer after all, but the former president of Mexico, Carlos Salinas. He had resigned in disgrace after the Zapatista rebellion of January 1994 in Chiapas and before the collapse of the Mexican currency, the peso, in early 1995. If you drove around the broad streets of Mexico City last winter during rush hour, you could buy rubber masks of Salinas from the urchins at the traffic lights. There were little dolls in his likeness of an obscene nature dressed in prison garb. His image, often behind bars, was everywhere. And he looked very like that classic discalced journalist or academic. He looked slightly scruffy, but in a trendily acceptable kind of way. Um, he wore a knitted cap, I think, through most of, yeah, through the whole of the interview and uh, had a kind of sheepskin coat on. So I suggested to him that maybe we could meet and talk more because I was very interested in things he was saying to me. It was by, I mean, I was learning a lot from him, to be truthful. And um, he said, fine, that he would like me to meet his wife. And I said, why don't we all meet in a pub some evening? And he said, sure. And uh, that was the last I heard of it until I think it was a journalist from the Sunday Times phoned me up a couple of months later. It must have been at least eight weeks 
and said to me, is it true that you have met ex-president Salinas? And I said, no, I, I don't move in these circles. Um, but they said rather ironically, we heard he had an audience with you, one of your sessions in UCT. And in fact, he, he, it, it turned out that was the man in question. And uh, it was only in retrospect I realised that the man who had been talking to me had, in the not-too-distant past, talked with much more powerful people than me. Whatever it was that brought Salinas to Ireland and Tom to Mexico, it seems to me now had something to do with exile and dreams and memories. Home, after all, is what you carry with you in your heart. And with that, I left my brother and his wife as they headed for the very north of the country, the long, narrow peninsula of Baja California, between the desert and the deep blue sea of the Pacific. <laughs> 